author of the week with Jessica Burtis, Rebecca Bond, Alex Lefchuk, and of course, another sensationally talented purveyor of perfect prose. But who's the author? Let's find out. It's an unspeakable smell, the smell of death, the ripping open of animals to let out the demons, loosing the jumble of organ and bone and tissue and exposing it to open air where microbe and maggot and mosquito can do their work. Black piles of waste swarming with insects fill clearings in the woods, just beyond the demarcated perimeter where decrepit buildings totter in the heat. Two scraggly roosters barely muster up the energy to chase each other in languid circles amidst food wrappers and beer cans. Muddy men wearing flip-flops, cradle, tattered playing cards, and AK-47s. The opening couple of paragraphs from Root That Mountain Down. Our special author of the week today, that's Evan Balkan. How are you, Evan? I am well. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, I always like to sort of just start with the beginning and we work our way through that. We've also got our, our ace uh, English and journalism student from the University of Lincoln, uh, Rebecca Bond, with us as well on, on the call. Um, but Evan, um, first and foremost, just give us a little bit of backstory in terms of Roots That Mountain Down. Um, it's, it is convoluted, to say the least. I actually, this was an odd book for me in that I actually started this thing about 20 years ago, um, which doesn't usually happen that way. Um, I, it really began quite honestly, one day I was, uh, I used to have a habit of um, really trying to tease out storylines from back about, about 20 years ago, my hometown newspaper, the Baltimore Sun used to have this section, which was the international roundup. And it was sort of pathetic in a way, um, because what it was, was a collection of like one paragraph, um, monumental events that were condensed to almost nothing, you know, in places that were utterly obscure. And it was news for the pre-Twitter generation, surely. News for the pre-Twitter generation. Exactly. And I mean, it's kind of, you know, and it used to be that that newspaper had just this incredibly wonderful, vigorous um, foreign desk. And they had been at that point, we're starting to cut things quite a bit. Um, and there was this one paragraph about this thing that had taken place in Niger in West Africa. And I just found it really kind of interesting. And it began from there and then it spread. I didn't really have a story. What The story found itself in, um, in Sierra Leone because that was right after the civil war there. Um, so I had written a draft then like 20 years ago, left it alone, came back to it several years later, changed the point of view, changed the, um, uh, verb tense did everything. And I would just kind of go back to it every, every few years. And so it wound up getting in its final form about, uh, 2019, I think, and then was published, you know, relatively soon, soon after. So it was, it was a bit of a journey. And in between, I wrote, you know, 10 other books. It was just kind of like, I would just sort of return to it because I thought maybe there was something there. And, and there is, it's worthwhile developing in so many ways. I mean, you know, 60 hikes within 60 miles, uh, Baltimore vanished, Explorers Forever Lost, just some of the classic works you've actually produced. Let's bring in Jessica Burtis here from North Carolina, not too far away, I don't think, from Maryland, or maybe my geography's off here on the other side of the Atlantic. Um, Jessica, any questions for Evan? Yeah, so I know that you um, teach creative writing, and I was wondering if that has affected how you write and how you approach your writing process. Uh, great question. And I'm sorry, Jessica, where where are you calling from? You're, are you I'm in North close? Carolina? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Alex, you were not far off. We're, you know, it's a rather it's a rather large country, but we're you know both kind of mid Atlantic, so we're mm-hmm. we're a few states away. Um, Maryland, and there's Virginia in between us, and then there's North Carolina. So, depending, she could be anywhere well, from five to yeah. 10 Virginia hours away. is the buffer zone. <laughs> I like to think of it. Virginia is the buffer zone between the two sort of yeah. states. Yeah, that's the key thing. Right, kind of the buffer between North and South, too. Actually, um, so yeah, absolutely, that is the case. I, I do find um, very often when I mean one of the one of the nice elements of that is that my students. Um, I do have the benefit and, you know, and pardon me if this sounds just horribly immodest, but um, when we talk about publication and, and where you go and how you, how you might want to uh, secure an agent, things like that, I do have 
um, some experience, obviously, that I can share with them. But beyond that, just the, in the reading of their work and, you know, it's one of those things that I think, and I think any writer would recognize this, that it is incredibly difficult sometimes to see the flaws in your own work, um, but very easy to see it in other people's work, right? Um, so when I'm kind of, I really, really want to work very hard for my students to get them the best possible feedback that I can. So I do find that very often when I'm reading, uh, I usually the, the commentary is, okay, here is a place where you're telling us everything and you really should be showing us in scenes and so forth. You say that enough times and it becomes impossible to not apply that to your own work rather, rather rigorously. Um, and fortunately for me, I do work with a lot of really talented um, young writers and it is a, just a perpetual process of inspiration and re-inspiration. Um, I have a student in one of my classes who I found out yesterday is 14. I had absolutely no idea she was that young. She's, um, I don't know what on earth she's doing in college, but she's, she is. And immensely talented, really bright, really engaging, really interesting. And, you know, on the one hand, I, I, I just, I hate her. I mean, how on earth could she be that talented at that age? You know, I was well into my thirties before I was writing anything of any value. Um, but the other thing is too, I mean, what an incredible inspiration, right? I mean, to have somebody like that, you get reminded of, of how, how wonderful this can be, the process of actually saying something, seeing it out in the world. Um, and so I think that, you know, it, it reminds me to kind of do my best to honor, to honor it, to honor the trade and the process um, when, I'm, when I'm working with students. And I think also it, it's, it keeps me from having all of my work just sort of be in a vacuum, which can be not particularly useful for a writer. So am I, am I allowed to lob questions as well, or is that not oh, part of Oh, I think of so, Evan. I mean, you know, we've, we've got a certain amount of flexibility here. I mean, I know Rebecca Bond's always got a lot of key okay. questions to put, put to our authors, but you know, by all means, throw an interrogative our way. Okay, because I, I, I am, so are both Jessica and Rebecca, are both students in, the, in this program, is that right? Ah, let me, I'll, I'll just go, Rebecca currently is in her final year of a, an English and journalism degree. Uh, Jessica has graduated and is about to actually start her master's program over at Trinity College in Dublin. Wonderful. Okay, great. Good, good. In, in children's literature. So lots of mosquitoes and dead flies and other nice. things, I'm sure. Uh, Rebecca, <laughs> what questions have you got for Evan? I mean, Evan, you've, you've more or less answered um, what I wanted to ask initially about your inspiration. It's really nice to hear that you find your inspiration from others, even young writers. I, I really find that inspiring. But I was going to ask where you kind of get your inspiration for your subjects from. I mean, the novel in question we're talking about today is about the, uh, the blood, blood diamond trade. I think that's a really sort of important topic to be addressing. Do you find you get your inspiration from real life context and historical context even? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I absolutely, that's the case. And, and I, I'm assuming I do not need to tell the two of you this. I suspect you both know this already. But one of the things I'm always reminding my students is if they really want to be writers and they want to be artists and they want to be engaged in the world, that means be engaged in the world. Do not sit there on your phone all day, right? That you have to be open, listening to people. Um, I always make it a habit when I'm traveling outside of this country. I don't, I get on the bus, you know what I mean? You have to just sort of engage with the people who are around you. Um, but yeah, very much that's it. I, I find myself drawn to stories that I think are kind of underrepresented that people maybe just don't know a lot about, but that are... If, I mean, as I said, I, I, this, the genesis of this novel came from, you know, this very short one paragraph thing in the newspaper. But, you know, if you really think about it, these are actual human beings living these events that are monumental to them. Um, so if you look, you know, today, for example, I mean, it's really, it's, it's heartbreaking to see what's going on in the Ukraine. Um, but the truth of the matter is, you know, where does that story fit into my life? Um, I read about it in the newspaper today, um, but then I just ate my breakfast and I went for a hike. It's a lovely day here. And then I got back and I'm looking at my dog. Everybody here is healthy and happy. And it's, I, I do feel that it is kind of important. I think I, I wouldn't presume to try to give voice to that particular story. I don't think I could, but 
something that's happened, I'm currently, for example, I'm currently working on a novel that takes place during the coup in Chile in the 1970s, um, simply because, again, I think it's one of those stories that not a lot of people know a whole lot about, that for anyone who lived through it or had any kind of even a tangential um, uh, connection to it, it it's, it's monumental, right? It's, it's ever, it, it colors everything in their lives. And yet, lots of people, and this is not a critique, I mean, people need to live their lives, I get that, um, will go their entire lives without knowing a thing about it, right? And I always just find I, I'm a curious person by nature anyway. I'd like to know things that I don't know. I, I find that stories that involve just basic, normal, individual human beings living through some events well beyond them uh, and being forced to, to, to kind of rise to the occasion, I, I, I find those to be just unending, you know, interesting in, in ways that, um, I don't know, they bring in the sweep of history and sociology and, and all of those things. And if you can get them across in, in, in fiction, but along the way, you know, teach your reader something, uh, that's, I'm always looking for those kinds of stories. And unfortunately, you don't have to look very far. I mean, you know, they're, sadly, those types of stories are really kind of everywhere. Um, so that's, that's really where it is. It's just a question of just being open um, and sometimes, you know, they come from more mundane places too. I coached um, soccer, uh, Alex and, and Rebecca football um, for many, many years. And um, there I coached uh, girls. And as those girls got older, this would include my own daughters, you know, very often um, they would, if I'm shuttling kids back and forth from a field, we would play games sometimes a couple of hours away. Uh, it is amazing the things that they will talk about in the backseat as if I'm not even there. And as you begin, you know, as I begin to kind of, it's not even eavesdropping. I can't escape, right? So I'm listening to the conversations. You could wear headphones, Evan. I, not while I'm driving. I mean, that's just, yeah, really. Um, but no, it's, it's all material, right? I mean, that's the thing is that my kids know I'm going to be stealing everything they say. I mean, this is just the way it is. It's just the sad thing about living with a writer. Um, so I had published a novel a few years ago that was actually a, a, for young readers um, that had as its protagonist a 12-year-old girl. That is not something that I could have or even would have attempted doing years before having you know, spent a lot of time with girls that age. Um, so it's really that. It's just, like I said, just sort of being engaged. The material is everywhere. It's just sort of plucking it out of the air and, and using it to your own very, very selfish, you know, ends. Definitely. <laughs> and I find you can, as you say, even the mundane places, you can get these inspirations and prompts for storylines, characters, et cetera, just from the silliest things. And I think sometimes that makes for the best, best, even personally, you know, you take inspiration from your children, for example. I think that must be really rewarding to look back and see that that's come out of a, a life experience and you've created something that other readers can enjoy. No question at all. I mean, and, that, and that's really... Yeah, I mean, that's the key. I think those those stories are, are really everywhere. Um, and as you say, it's, I mean, ultimately that particular novel that I'm talking about, it wound, I wound up uh, setting it in the early 50s. The protagonist's father winds up dying in the Korean War. She's dealing with integration. So she winds up uh, being, you know, involved with um, a young African-American boy, which is not something that flew in Baltimore in the early 1950s. So it, it winds up taking on these weighty matters, but it really started from just that, really just watching and talking to the way in which these girls interacted with one another, because I, I just don't think I would have had the confidence to, to take on that particular persona. I've, I've never been a young girl myself, right? So, I mean, I just couldn't, it's a hard thing to do um, but uh, Evan, you know, like I, mean, said, I knew this was going to be packed full yeah. of scoops, but the fact that you've just said you've never been a young girl, that's astonishing. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have got that anyway. It's just amazing. It, it, yeah, that always, when I tell people that, that's always a big surprise, yeah. um, actually. Yeah. But believe it or I, not, I have, I have maybe never. Maybe that you can remember, maybe in a past life, who knows? I mean, it was stated that <laughs> by the end of the 21st century, we'll swap genders literally in the same way we actually choose what clothes we're going to wear for the day. <laughs> But what the uh, I don't think I've uh, just just for uniform I, you sake. Know, I, yes, I, I, I no, you know it's funny. I sorry, go ahead, Alex. I, I'm no, sorry. I, I, was just say, I just wanted to make it quite clear that as far as I can recall, I haven't been a young girl either. I'm just putting it out there. Okay, so <laughs> okay. Well, that makes two out of the four of us. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Jessica, uh, before this interview gets too surreal, any other questions for yourself? <laughs> I'd like to know what you think the most rewarding part of writing is for you personally. Um, I, you know, it, it seems like it's a really obvious answer, but I, the truth is I, I just, I think, you know, I don't want to get, you know, it's funny, Alex just said, let's not get too surreal. I also don't want to get too kind of uh, depressing or existential or whatever it is. I, I, it's funny, I was just having this conversation with some of my students um, and I reminded them of something they need not be reminded of, which is that we're not going to be here forever, right? We're all going to die. We're all going to be gone. Um, I've always looked at, at writing and creation as this maybe feeble attempt to kind of beat back a little bit on mortality. If you leave something behind. Um, to me, and I don't know why, but that's important to me. Um, but it's a very sort of simple uh, formulation, which is you, you write something, whether it gets published or not, whether anyone reads it or not, you've created something that exists in the world that didn't before you, you, you know, did it. And I just, I think that's immensely valuable. I, I really do. I just, I think it's the same kind of impulse that has people scratching their names on trees or in wet cement or whatever it is that basically it's, I mean, there's 8 billion of us, right? So it's a, kind of a hard thing to say, hey, you know, here I am, I'm here too. I have something to say. Um, and if you can, I mean, I, it is nice. I can look over at my bookshelf. I've got 10 books there, right? So I don't, have any illusions about this. I do not think that in 50, 60, 70 years, kids around the world are going to be reading my books in their classrooms. I mean, maybe, but I doubt it. Um, but the thing is they're there and they're physical and they exist. And that does make me happy. I mean, it's horribly egotistical. I mean, I get that, but, but you sort of have to be to be a writer anyway, right? The presumption that the world is interested in what you have to say, you do have to, doesn't mean you have to conduct yourself in a narcissistic way, but there is a certain like ego there. And, you know, I will, I guess, have grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren that I will never meet, um, that I suspect it would be kind of cool that they could kind of pull that off the shelf and go, oh, this guy did this, right? That, that to me, that's important. Just kind of knowing that it'll be there when I'm gone. Um, I like that feeling. I really do. Um, the other thing is, honestly, and I, I just on a very kind of just weird level, I, I'm not good with idleness. I, I just, there's so much, I mean, life is really wonderful. I am a very lucky guy. There's a lot of things that make me very happy. Um, but you know, it could be a slog too at times. I mean, without going into details, I had a really bad year last year. Last year was very unpleasant. Um, and I just sort of feel like, you know, if we, we have to endure a lot of things that do not make us particularly happy. Um, if at the end of the day, you can point to something uh, measurable, and say this, I did this today, this thing, and whatever that thing is, if it's writing down a thousand words or whatever it is, um, it's an accomplishment. And it's an accomplishment that most people, I think, you know, think about, but don't really do. And that's fine. If it's not your thing, it's my thing. So as long as I can kind of keep that going, uh, get the work done, then it, it really does add a lot of sort of meaning and contour um, to my life. Um, and so whatever deep seated thing that drives me to have to do that, I really envy the people who don't have that because it could probably make life a lot easier. It would be a lot easier if I could just, I don't know, grade my papers and then just watch TV for four hours and go to sleep. I can't do it. I gotta, you know, I gotta get the work in. Um, it makes life hard sometimes, but you've accomplished something. And I just think that's worth something. I think it means something. I do. I, I agree. And I think that, you know, like you were saying, like your descendants in a hundred years, when they read your book, I think they'll be very happy that you weren't completely idle and that, you know, you, you did something that they have a piece of you to remember by. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it's also a recognition that, you know, you're very, you're, you're lucky. I mean, there are people who write works because I had the great, I mean, just the absolute honor and privilege of having worked years ago when, when I was in graduate school uh, the first time around with a guy named Vasily Aksyonov, who was a who was a Russian writer who had been exiled uh, from the Soviet Union and was certain he was going to be murdered, actually. He, he was shot. His mother actually wound up spending time in Siberia in a work camp. 
amazing human being and a lovely human being. I just, I really adored him. And his writing sprang from a place of real repression and his life was in danger writing. For him, it was a drive that he had to do anyway. There are people like that in the world. I don't have to deal with any of that. It's purely a luxury for me. And so it almost feels like to do honor to people like that, geez, I better get some work done because, you know, can you imagine? I, I would think I would have the same drive in the same circumstance that he was in, but he almost paid with his life, uh, you know, paid, you know, his life for it. Um, so what would be my excuse, right? That there's something good on television? Like that's, I, you know, I got to do it. Got to do the work. Right. First world problems, Evan. First world problems. You know, no question. You either about write, you write the novel of your dreams, or you watch the latest edition of reality TV. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and I um, I don't know if you guys get Ted Lasso over there, but I've been watching that lately that's been that's been that's my one you know i will allow myself that the half an hour of that every night for sure let's go back to rebecca because of so course it, this it, notion of immortality uh, i suppose you could say in 100 years time somebody might be archiving these materials from the crap from the clouds they can download it and say oh that's what evan was all about in the whole sort of message there but anyway rebecca and from listening to you talk, Evan, it sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a very people-orientated person. Would that be be correct? You sound like you thrive off meeting people and turning them into stories. I mean, you, you talk so passionately about these people's stories and things. And what I was going to ask particularly was for this novel, what went into the character of Felix particularly, considering it's such a, a very, you know, a trying story as well, quite a, a deep topic, if you like. Um, I, I, yeah, to answer the first part of that first, you know, it's fun. I, I hope this comes off the right way. Um, and I don't sound just absolutely dreadful, but I am one of these people who sort of, I can be a bit misanthropic, uh, on the grand scale. Um, I find myself, you know, as I'm driving around, just, just utterly Despairing you know, about mortified humanity. by <laughs> yeah, I mean, just some like the way in which we're just sort of destroying the planet around us really kind of drives me crazy. I see these sorts of very selfish behaviors. And yet, I'm acutely aware that that same person that I'm just kind of cursing out for whatever reason, not, you know, not out loud in my head. I'm also aware that if we were to talk one on one, I would probably adore this person. Like on an individual level, I love human beings. I mean, really, like they're wonderful to me. So it's always this kind of weird balance that I'm, I'm going through. Um, but as far as the second part of that goes, I, I will confess that in early drafts of this novel, and it's a big part of why the book took just so long, is that that main character was really me um, over and over again. And I don't think that was serving the book very well. I was trying to figure out a personal entree into that larger story. How do you tell a big story about a civil war, about a blood commodity, about all of that, without just you know, it feeling like a, like a political treatise or a tract or something. Um, the way in, of course, is to make it personalized through somebody that I could actually write about. I don't think I could really write convincingly about a war survivor, um, fortunately. I just, I'm just not sure. I, I, and I'm not sure that's my story to tell anyway. Um, so the easier thing seemed to be, all right, well, if I just take this American kid who's dropped into this, that's something I can figure out because that, that would be my experience. Um, and then, you know, from there, I started to, to really kind of loosen uh, his reactions to things were just what I would react. And I realized, again, that was not really working very well for the book because this wasn't my experience. Um, so I had to I had to really kind of distance myself from from that main character. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's really to me, it always goes down to when I mentioned this book about the, the coup in Chile. Same deal. I, I've done a ton of research about it. And then I'm intent on forgetting 90% of it, right? It's just, it, it creates the backdrop so that it's convincing and that it's accurate. But the story has to be about the person. If it winds up being subsumed by the events, then I, I think you you run the risk of really losing your, your readers. Um, so, you know, it's always, it's always, um, you know, I was actually, it's funny. I was just telling uh, somebody about this. We were, we were tied. I, I I'm on a committee at my school that does international travel and so forth. And they had asked me to do a presentation about somewhere I had traveled and, and I, I did something about Peru. 
and we were, t- they wanted me to share some pictures and this is what always happens. So like I had pictures of, you know, Machu Picchu and these really like amazing places. And, you know, after a while, you just kind of flip through them pretty quickly. You start to, you, you know, you've seen it already. You know where people stop. People stop when you get to the picture of that family in traditional dress, right? Like that's the, because people are always more interested in people. Like you can always, you know, you do the grand tour of Europe, for example, you can only look at so many cathedrals. After a while, it's just, it's the person sitting on the bench that you want to know the, you know, the, the life of, right? That's always more interesting. Um, so that's really got to be the, the beginning, middle and end, I think, of every story and everything else is really this scaffolding, you know? No, I definitely agree. And I think embedding them in such a powerful story as well, you mentioned it being a kind of underrepresented situation. I think that's really valuable and something readers can take something away from. Agree. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, you obviously were the recipient of the uh, wonderful award of uh, the Individual Artist Award for Fiction from the Maryland State Arts Council. Uh, you can add to that, you're now official author of the week as far as Siren Radio and Southside Broadcast is actually concerned. Um, do you prefer fiction or non-fiction? If, if given the choice, if somebody actually could say now in the, the great cosmos, Evan, you have a choice. Your rest, the rest of your writing is going to be uh, totally fiction or it's got to be totally nonfiction. Which one would you go for? Oh man, um, I so I really I do like nonfiction. I adore travel writing, um, but I'm I would have to go with the fiction only because that does also encompass screenplays, which I actually these days spend most of my time writing. Um, so, gotta go with the fiction. I mean, and I. I don't know, you know, there's something about, there's something about the novel that I just adore. It's such a slog. I mean, it really is. It's always, um, you know, but there are such things as short stories. They, they, they can, they can be a little more manageable, but yeah, I'll go, I'll go with the fiction just because that will, that will encompass more for me. So logical follow on then, uh, if you had any say in the casting of the screenplay for uh, the uh, uh, adventures of uh, Root That Mountain Down, or just Root That Mountain Down, who would you like to see play Felix? Ooh, let's see. Um, so it's going to have to be somebody relatively young. And, you know, here's the problem is I'm, I'm, I'm now knocking on the door of 50. You'll need to ask your daughters, like, obviously. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know anybody anymore. I mean, you know, and I, I, um, I'm sure you get this in the UK. The, you know, Saturday Night Live. It's that that show has been on forever. I think from the late. It, it gave rise to 70s, a few reasonably well-known people: Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and so on. A few people came out: Dan Aykroyd, John right. Belushi, the Satellite Night Live, Amy Poehler. I could go on. Oh yes, okay. So you know it well. I discovered about. 10 years ago, what was beginning to happen was not only did I not know the, who the musical guests were, I didn't know who the host was anymore. Like suddenly I just feel this enormous disconnect. Now it's, it is, this is another nice part about working um, where I do, and you know, mostly everyone's about 18, 19. So I do have some, and my, my daughters are 17 and 16. So I do have some, you know, set, but it, I'm also acutely aware that, um, yeah, this stuff's not really for me anymore anyway. Like it's literally not made for me anymore. There's a certain kind of, so um, I don't know is the answer to the question. I, I have a lot of author uh, actors that I absolutely adore, but they're either, you know, too old for this or they're, or they're, or they're dead. Sadly, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know who to, yeah, Computer I know it's technology, de-aging, CGI. There are a whole range of things that are possible from that point of view. All right, so let's figure out how to how to get uh, sixty years off Robert De Niro, and then I'd be perfect. No, he actually he wouldn't work for this for this role anyway. You know who I really do like, but he is too old. Um, is uh, Adrian Brody? You know Adrian Brody? I like him as an actor. Yeah, he's kind of a he's he's kind of cool. Um, you know, the, I will come up with the absolute perfect answer to that question at like two in the morning tonight, and I'm and you know I'll either have to call you back up, um, which actually will be a reasonable hour where you are anyway. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's, yeah. I'm I mean, sorry. I, I wish I had a good answer for that. I don't. Have... And I, I presume, Evan, you're also not necessarily going to be engaging in TikTok videos in the near future either. 
No, I only have the vaguest sense of exactly what that is. Um, actually, yeah. No, I actually I do know what I that think is. Most of the people in Maryland have... just have that, so don't worry. It's okay. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, it's a, it's 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 a conte- it's a, a a contemporary thing. Jessica, any other thoughts you'd like to share with Evan? Yeah, like since you're so into travel and now that the pandemic is hopefully fingers crossed petering off, what are some other countries that you would love to maybe visit or see? Well, I have just started. So I, I told you I'll, I'm, I'm not, I'll be turning 50 this year. And I figured I, this is going to sound just, just terrible of me, but my big, I even said to my family, I'm like, I only want one thing. And it is just the permission to just go away by myself. Not because I'm interested in not wanting you around, but there are certain places in the world that I don't think they would be necessarily inclined to go that I really want to go to. So I've actually just started figuring out where I want to go. And at the moment, the top of my list is Namibia uh, transiting through South Africa. Um, You just gave a thumbs up. Have you been there, Jessica? I haven't, but it's desperately wanting to go there so bad. <laughs> I really yeah. want to see the desert there. So I agree. Yeah, I'm with, I mean, there's, I have a short list of about five places and I tend to be really attracted to the kind of the, the wide open space. So like Mongolia is on that list as well, but that can be a bit, I mean, you need a lot of time to, I only have so much time to kind of get there and back. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking Namibia um, and it is, that part has been killing me. I haven't really been anywhere. I, was in Norway about three months before everything shut down. Um, and that actually was not all that great of a trip. It's a lovely place, but it was the weather just did not cooperate and it really kind of hampered things. Not unreasonably. I mean, Norway in late, <laughs> late August can be pretty, you know, pretty cold and miserable. Um, so yeah, it's been a while. I'm, I'm really, I need to, I need to get out there in the world. Um, now the normal thing is, I don't know, so I don't know how much time we have, but I'm, I, again, I really, I truly am interested in, in you guys. So I would love to know the same answers from, from you guys, but I don't know if we have time for that or if I shouldn't be, we can probably squeeze um, but I would love to know in. what kind of writing um, you do. And I, just as a little, uh, a joiner to, uh, to Jessica's line there with respect to COVID, uh, just for interest uh, levels, the UK has just recorded 98,204 more COVID cases and 165 deaths as the number of hospital emissions have actually risen again. But we're living with it. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the way forward. We will live with it. Other things actually obviously take precedence. Anyway, um, apart from that, we are still not wearing masks. Rebecca, what about your travel and writing and so on? Share with us a few moments. Um, do you know what? I was having this conversation with Kathy on, um, on Wednesday's uh, live session. Um, and she is from Florida and I, I have never visited anywhere in the United States. So I feel like mine would be to visit obviously the US and she suggested visiting all four corners is the way she put it. So mm-hmm. that would be mine to eventually get out there and travel around the United States. That would be great. Wow. We, that would be, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it is, you know, Jessica can tell it's a heck of a country. I mean, just so extraordinarily diverse. I'll tell you one of the most fascinating places I've ever been in my life. And I'm very fortunate. I've been to a lot of really interesting places. Um, but one of the my most favorite places is in the United States. And it's actually in the Southwest, um, New Mexico and Arizona. And it, it's a world away from where I live. I mean, literally, I mean, it's in fact, I mean, you know this, I, London is closer to where I am than Los Angeles amazingly it's wow. just weird to think about but it is. that's that is so strange like i said i've never been to the states i know it's huge but that just has blown my mind <laughs> maybe i need to do the four different corners in you know throughout time not all at once <laughs> yeah is, i mean i remember years ago i was in I was just ahead, Alex, the, the thing is rebecca's based in norwich and the world comes to norwich so that's part and parcel of the whole thing really she's just had to to wait for the world to come to her <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, did I? I don't know if you're a football person, but when I when I mentioned that, are you, is that is that upsetting to be in Norwich and, Listen, and no. have someone? Okay. No, no, not at all. No. All right. <laughs> they're, they're, I know they're just bottom of the Premier League, Rebecca, and, and, and it's all right. They're, they're showing how strong they are because being in the twentieth position means they have to hold up all the other nineteen teams. So there we are. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, I actually, I, so I'm, as long as I can, I can maintain it, I still do play myself. And uh, there's actually quite a, quite a few uh, English folks in my, 
in my uh, league. And um, yes, this, this, this premier league conversations come up every, every Sunday. So I'm, I'm well-versed in all of this. this well, stuff, as but, long um, as Manchester city win the, 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 the premier league again, I'm quite happy, but that's by the by, I mean, a little bit tense at present, just a point ahead of those people in, on Merseyside, but it's a different issue for another, a different conversation. And don't say Evan, you're a <laughs> Liverpool fan, please. Uh, no, but you're very lucky that my friend Megan is not here because she lives and dies. She's even got the tattoos on her and everything. She ever she even bought her car uh, because it was the same Liverpool red. That was the precisely the yeah. She's a huge yeah. This is her thing. And apparently, when she went to a game there, she just cried the entire time. So I'm okay though. It doesn't you know I'm 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 not doesn't matter to me. I don't I don't have a spot. Well, Am I allowed to? Can I ask Rebecca and Jessica what kind of writing they do? And, and yeah, all okay, we've got a couple of minutes. Jessica, what's your writing? I know it's the great American novel, but share with us. Um, yeah, so I love fiction. Um, I prefer anything fantasy or sci fi related. And um, I'm studying children's literature because I wanted to get into publishing, um, but I also would love to just write my own book that's somewhere probably, I the category like of the age range I want to write always reflects what age I am. <laughs> so I always end up just like moving it as I get older. So we'll see what age range, but um, yeah, I love anything that's just like fantastical and a whole other world. That's, uh, I, you know, I'll tell you, I don't know. I'm not sure I know exactly why, but um I would say the majority of my students in in both the intro creative writing classes as well as the screenwriting classes are working in sci-fi and or fantasy like that seems to just be huge um, for a lot of uh, my students so you're you are in good company for sure <laughs> and Rebecca yeah. Um, for me, creatively, I love writing poetry, um, but at the moment I've had to put my creative writing on a hold because I'm in the final week of my dissertation writing at the moment. So next Friday is my submission date. So had to put everything else fun on hold for a while. <laughs> wow. Good luck. That's exciting. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I'm in those final stages now. So really excited just to get it all out of the way. Great. Great. And, you know, incidentally, I mean, and I mean this in all sincerity, and, and obviously I was going to say this to Rebecca, but Jessica, same goes to you. Ali, actually, you too, Alex. Doesn't matter. If you ever find yourself in, in this particular part of the world, the D.C., Baltimore area, feel very, very free to reach out. I'm happy to either play tour guide or to leave you alone and say, hey, you may want to check out these things. Or, I mean, you know how it goes. If you ever have a, a personal connection to a place, you get to see it in a way that you don't and, normally. And so do not hesitate. Evan, when you're, oh, thank you so much. That's amazing. Thank you. And when you're heading yeah, over sure, to Lincoln, England, to you, can, you, can, you can work through that. I realise Lincoln, England might not be as exciting as Namibia, but actually it's all a matter of perspective. So there we are. <laughs> Root that mountain down is the yeah, latest. I actually, you know, I will tell you, it's, it was very disappointing. I had applied for a Fulbright this year and I was a finalist, um, but I just found out a few days ago that I, I didn't get it, but it would have had me in Belfast for a semester. Uh, teaching at Queen's University. So I would have actually come to see you in Lincoln, but you know, it, it, it didn't happen, happen. So unfortunately. Meanwhile, I find the plot root Maybe. that mountain down. Those things are kind of hard. <laughs> the latest award-winning novel by Evan J. L. Balkan is available now online, all good bookstores and so on and so forth. We have two final questions to wrap up with. Evan, have you had a reasonably interesting Zuma with us on the program today? Has it been okay for you? I'm sorry, that last part kind of cut out a little bit. Did I have, did I have an interesting... Have you had a reasonably interesting Zuma? Has, have you enjoyed the last few moments with us? Oh, yeah, no question at all. This has been great. <laughs> and therefore, it's can we look lovely. forward to connecting with you again? Will you be kind enough to return? Oh, of course. Any, any time. I'm more than happy. Fraud is something which is not uh, pleasant at the best of times. When it comes to identity uh, fraud and identity theft... Uh, clearly, there are major issues to be had. Uh, and with identity theft cases in the United Kingdom doubling in the last two years, there are clearly major challenges to be formed and uh, addressed here. So we've got two fine folk to actually address this. First of all, uh, the founder of the Mrs. Money Penny blog, of course, money expert and astonishing victim of ID fraud. That's the fabulous Lynn Beatty. How are you, Lynn? Thank you for having me. I'm good. How are you? Well, great to have you back again as ever. Uh, but we also have identity theft specialist uh, and the UK and Ireland director of Norton LifeLock, that's Steve Wilson. How are you, Steve? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having us, Alex. 
Excellent. Stephen, we'll come to you first, because one in four young people have fallen victim to identity theft in the, fast, in the last five years, uh, three times as many as those aged 45. Is that because there's a kind of illusion that all of this technology that we use, it's deceptively easy? We just put on our details, we keep our details there, we kind of forget that actually it's a bit of a Wild West frontier out there. Yeah, Alex, I think, um, you know, we have a growing reliance on technology and especially in the last couple of years through the, you know, the pandemic. And I think we're storing and sharing more, much more online. And of course, young, younger people are at the vanguard of that. They're, they're more online than the rest of the population. And actually, they've got more devices. So they're, they're, they're more out there uh, online. And that's why this uh, is happening. Mm. Lynn, talk us through your own experience as, as somebody who's actually been through this this challenge and actually you know, had to go through that whole notion of the stress, the challenges, and all the other elements. Yeah, it was it was. Um, I wasn't expecting it to happen to me. I, I've gone through life thinking that you know ID fraud it would never happen, but it did. Um, so uh, a, a person, an organisation, not really sure who, because the police investigated it and never found out, um, set up an account with a um, catalogue company in my name and bought three thousand pounds worth of um, products. Uh, but they made a little mistake and one of the items turned up at my address. Um, so that's where sort of alarm bells triggered of, as to, I, I didn't I didn't think it was anything serious or that, that my idea had been stolen or anything. I just thought a mistake had been made. So I called up the company. I'm like, oh yeah, this is what's happened. All these things have been ordered. You've, you've now got £3,000 worth of debt sat in your name that this person has ordered all this stuff. Steve, how common is that? I mean, the, 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 the thing that Lynn's just described there, I mean, it sounds horrendous. I mean, it's basically you've been robbed for £3,000 in essence. Mm. Uh, how, how common is that in your experience? Well, yeah, unfortunately, it's increasingly common. And, and the Norton research is showing that this kind of theft is, has doubled in the last two years. So I think we're seeing it more and more. Okay, um, I mean, I'm not sure whether, does it make any difference whether you're living in Brighton or Cardiff or Manchester? I mean, the top eight most affected areas for identity theft, Brighton is at the top, Birmingham, Cambridge, London, Leeds follow. Um, with the web, isn't it a case of it can be anywhere? Yeah, indeed, it can be anywhere. I think uh, some of the, the peaks that we're seeing in certain towns are probably due to the age of the population. Some of the places you mentioned are strong university towns. Um, and, you know, and therefore there's a younger population and it's slightly more prevalent. I don't think we have empirical research into that aspect of it at the moment, but it's certainly an interesting part of it. Two thirds of those surveyed say they're more aware of identity theft as an issue than ever before. But they also say they've got no idea to do what 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 they would do if their identity was actually stolen. Um, so what were the steps that you took, Lynn, in terms of you know, basically clearing your name and getting it sorted? Well, this is the thing that's really stressful is when you so you realize that this has happened to you and um, you're like, right, what next? What do I do next? So I know that I've got one account that's been set up in my name. What else have they set up in my name? What else is going to appear on my doorstep? Um, and, and also like time frames of so this thing has happened now. Maybe they're going to go quiet and then um, do something else in a few months time. So because of and, and then you've got the sort of mental health effects of, and the worry and the stress going with all of that so what um what can be useful if you've got somebody to hold your hand and norton has this new product where um a person can actually help you sort out all of this mess afterwards and guide you through that process because I, I certainly didn't know what i was doing so it's norton um identity advisor plus and um they they just guide you through and clear your name for you after it's happened i spoke to the catalogue company and they gave me some sort of indication of things to do, which was speaking to the police and speaking to action fraud. But, um, and then I've been really obsessive about checking my credit rating. And I still do that now, like months and months on just to make sure that nothing is appearing. I will forever be paranoid about it now. And I've cleared, I've gone, I've done like an online audit and cleared sort of all my personal details from the internet because I was too lax with that beforehand. Steve, I mean, we've covered over the years things like beware when you're putting posts, posts on social media, your Instagrams, your Facebooks and so on and so forth, that you don't actually give out information there that you uh, basically is, is, is personal, etc. 
I've kind of grumbled in times past about multi-factor authentication, but I appreciate that that's uh, the state of play that we actually go into. I mean, today I've had several MFAs already to work through that. Um, as uh, we, we, we've just heard there, is it a case of actually, you know, we're kind of constantly having to battle up with the cyber criminals, or is it a case with Norton that, uh, uh, you know, that there is a, a relatively straightforward way and hopefully painless way of ensuring that there is a, a level of support, of support and security that we can all at least guarantee? Yeah, so cyber criminals are, are, are very intelligent and, you know, they're, they're looking at what people are doing all the time and uh, en engineering ways to try and trip you up. So so it is all prevalent, unfortunately. And the, the story that, that Lynn tells you is unfortunately something we're seeing all the time. The, the Norton Identity Advisor Plus product has sort of three key key things that can really help protect you. The first thing it'll do is is monitor your social media. You mentioned um that aspect of it and the things we've done over the years and look for any personally identifiable information which may be there it'll actually also even check any inappropriate um, stuff you may have posted years ago when you're a little bit younger and more carefree um, that might affect your job prospects now um, the second thing it'll do is look for your information across the dark web which is where the cyber criminals operate and trade your information and it'll look for your you know your bank details your credentials for logins it'll search for um, your driver's license. And the, these are the pieces of information that cyber criminals use to commit fraud. And as uh, Lynn mentioned, the final thing and the most important thing is we have a, a series of really highly qualified specialists who you can call up and they'll take you through a whole process. They have access to over 7,000 merchants globally where they can start to help restore your credit rating and, and uh, actually get back um, some of your identity. Uh, the online protection bill is obviously heading through Parliament. It's, uh, it's looking to, to secure that. I realise that's a slightly different topic, but is that going to help? Or is it a case of that might even open up an avenue for even more identity theft? I think that's that's anything that creates awareness in this area is going to help. Um, you know, specific identity theft um, actions, of course, are very complex. So, uh, you know, it's not going to get into the nitty gritty. And that's why we're bringing this product to market. Okay, Steve, once again, can you provide us with the details of how folk can actually uh, access uh, the, what we've been talking about today and indeed the Norton LifeLock products? Yes, indeed. So, you know, either Google Norton um, or pop over to Norton.com. There's loads of information on this subject. Um, and of course, you can see the product as well. Uh, Steve Wilson, Identity Theft Specialist and UK and Ireland Director at Norton LifeLock. And of course, the awesomely talented founder of Mrs. Money, Mrs. Mummy Penny blog and money expert and tragically victim of IT fraud, Lynn Beatty. Huge thanks. Uh, keep on keeping on and be well and stay safe in cyberspace. Hi, this is Phil Lairness, sitting alongside my wife, Lily Lairness. As we travel through the third decade of the 21st century, it's good to know that the midweek drive and Midweek Drive Morning Editions continue to produce a minimum of four hours of weekly audio goodness on Siren Radio and southsidebroadcasting.podbean.com. Why do you have that glazed expression on your face, Lil? Too many numbers in that announcement. Clutter. Oh dear, it uh, tends to be one of those situations that I have to hold my hand up and say, oh, I don't know. Apparently 56, 56% of UK adults have rooms in their houses that can't be used. Why? Because they're filled with clutter. Okay, how do we actually cope with respect to this, uh, especially if we're looking to maybe move house and uh, declutterize the whole experience? Well, uh, the only person who could really address this is clearly professional organiser, author, and indeed expert on the fantastic television show Sort Your Life Out, it's Dilly Carter. How are you, Dilly? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, spring cleaning, I suppose that's the traditional cliche where we think it's time to spring clean, etc. But is it just a case of we gather so much stuff that becomes clutter? And when does, you know, when does it ever end, really? Well, when we stop spending, that's when it ends. You know, the more we spend, the more we accumulate, the more we have to then declutter. You know, like you just said, you know, hippo research shows that 56% of UK adults have rooms in their houses that can't be used because of clutter. You know, why have these rooms accumulated? Because they're also decisions that we don't know what to do with. You know, they're decisions we cannot make. The loft, the spare bedroom, the garage, these are all decisions that we don't know what to do with. That's why they become cluttered. So we just have to rip off that band-aid, set some side of time, order a hippo bag, get it out on the drive and get everything out. It's that simple. 
well, you certainly make it sound easy and, and, and easy from that point of view. But, you know, I suppose a lot of it is perhaps nostalgia that we look back at things. And, and there's always that line when I was a chemistry undergraduate, which suggested you should never throw anything away. You may not. We, you may just need it, really. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. Is that something that also impacts in terms of the, the, the reason clutter gathers? Absolutely, because, you know, you feel like you're emotionally attached or financially attached. You think, oh, I don't want to have to buy it again. But, you know, when it's covered in dust at the bottom of your wardrobe and it's been there for six years, you know, were you going to use it? No, you haven't used it in the last six years. So are you really going to use it in the next six? So that's what you have to think about. You know, those kitchen cupboards that have got 50 pans in when actually you, you cook the chilli in the same pan every night. You cook chi- the, the, your chilli in the same pan as you cook a curry, as you cook pasta, you know. Generally, we're creatures of habit, aren't we? We use the same items all the time. So that's what we have to look at. You know, do we need 50 pans? Well, actually, we only use three on repeat. Now, that applies to pans, but I do believe, Dilly, you actually got five key questions that you can actually <laughs> use and employ to effectively uh, help anybody who might be just going through this anxiety period of thinking, how could I actually start that decluttering process? Absolutely. So number one, what we need to do is firstly get these rooms aired. Let our wardrobes out and our drawers breathe. Give the room a good declutter and clear out. You know, moths love dark spots. So let's open those doors and let them out and give the wardrobes a good clean. You know, look at what you've got in your wardrobe. Do you love it? Do you need it? Does it fit is a key question. Can you switch your seasons around? Number two, clear those window sills. So many of us have so much on the window sills, you know, that take up loads of light and block the light. So clear those windows window sills do you need to have as many plants on there do you need to have as many pictures number three we want to declutter that worktop you know all the appliances you've got on there the bread maker the pasta maker the coffee machine the 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 sound system whatever it is you've got clear it all off there again use that process now it's empty what do you have to put back that's what you need to look at number four we want to clean those cupboards out you know spring is the perfect time to do that we've opened the windows we're letting light in we're letting air in just empty that one cupboard give it a good clean and put everything back and then number five you know use those hippo number five sorry use those hippo bags get everything that's unwanted into them and let them deal with the recycling it's one less stress for you in terms of the overall system is there a difference between the genders here or is it just a case of no blokes are just as bad as girl as 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 women with respect to this you know we, we we kind of all have this clutter tendency I don't think it matters who you are, where you are, what you, where you're from, anything. Everyone has their traits. We all have the things that we don't, you know, we like to collect, that we, we have lots of. You know, for me, I might have an excessive amount of trainers, some may say. You know, even I, as a declutterer, as a professional organiser, have a few more of things than I should have. You know, not that I admit that often, but, you know, we all have our traits. It doesn't matter who you are. So, you know, I don't think it's specific to anybody. It depends on how you've been brought up as well, you know. I lived in a very chaotic home growing up, but yet I've gone the complete opposite way. So who knows? Who knows? You see, I always tend to go to the uh, second law of thermodynamics, that the more effort you put into something, the more chaos you cause, basically. But um, (laughs) I I can see you would have no truck with that whatsoever, Dilly. It just goes, no, don't go down that routine. Uh, Hippowaste.co.uk presumably is the place to go to to find out further details about the survey and indeed how to actually access Hippo Waste. Absolutely. Everything you need to help you declutter, you know, from the bag to actually getting the tips that you need to start that journey is on that website, hippowaste.co.uk. Tilly Carter, professional organiser, author and indeed expert on the TV show Sort Your Life Out. Huge thanks. Trainers, though. I wasn't expecting <laughs> trainers. That's, that's a little bit of a reveal on that one, Dilly. But, it is, uh, a, it is, it's an exclusive for you. Well, there you go, Dilly. <laughs> huge thanks. Take care. and Thank uh, you. Stay clutter free.